Hassan in Swahili dedicated to all you beautiful people around the world. We say Jumbo. Greetings to the Global Mission Podcast. My name is Richard Lewis, your host, as we discuss the issues of worldwide missions and the task of the Great Commission. Well, today I am delighted to have uh, a friend of mine that I've known many years. Uh, he, uh, he tells the story that um, he was a teenager in uh, high school in Kenya. Uh, when we first met, and uh, so that tells you <clears throat> a little bit how old I am. Uh, nevertheless, uh, I've known the Connerups uh, for many, many years. Uh, this is, uh, by the way, John Connerup. He is the um, missions director for Baptist Bible Fellowship and lives in Springfield, Missouri, uh, along with his wife, Pam. Uh, they have a grown daughter by the name of Bethany. And uh, I've known the Connerups now for many, many years. Uh, Richard Conrad, uh, John's dad, um, uh, is the guy that uh, would come to Turkana from time to time. And uh, I was uh, Richard Conrad's best man uh, in his wedding. And uh, so I've known the Connerups for a very long time. So John, it is really good to uh, talk to you. And uh, so uh, uh, let's begin. Why don't you just tell uh, the audience a little bit about your journey and mission? All right. Thank you. It's good to be on your podcast and uh, looking forward to hearing all the results of your podcast in the months and years to come. Uh, my parents went to Ethiopia in 1960 and they uh, we're in the city, capital city, Addis Ababa, for a little while. Then they moved out into the countryside and lived in a very remote area in a tent for two years, a nine by 12 tent. Um, they had three kids at the time. I was not yet born, um, but the kids lived in the tent when they were home from boarding school. And then at other times they were at school back in the city. Um, it was very remote area, the people, the tribe, uh, people, tribal people were very primitive. The men carried their spears around. They, um, you know, carved their teeth down to points as a sign of bravery and just all those kinds of things. So uh, that's where my family first started out as missionaries. I guess you would say pioneer missionaries there in Ethiopia. Then I, uh, then the family moved up uh, further into the countryside to a small village, small town area. And there's, uh, that's when I was born. And uh, I was born in a hospital in the capital <laughs> city. But uh, three weeks later, it took me back up to the village in the countryside. And at that time, my parents had built a three-room tin house on stilts. And, you know, about, uh, about two feet off the ground. That was so they could get underneath and check for termites and things. And so uh, that's where I began my life uh, there. And my mom took me up to the village because ladies, the ladies of the village wanted to see this newborn baby uh, from America, especially. 
And, uh, you know, do they have 10 fingers and 10 toes like our kids, that kind of thing. And so uh, she took me up there and uh, 30 ladies lined up to come by and see me. And they all did something that she was not expecting. They all came by and spit on me in the face. She wanted to turn and run after the first one. But she thought, if I'm going to be able to reach these ladies in the future with the gospel, I, I need to stay here and go through this process. And so she did. And I'm glad I didn't know what was going on. But I guess I could say that was my first cross-cultural experience. That's, that's kind of how I started out uh, on the mission field. And of course, grew up, uh, you know, there on that mission station, um, had a school and a church. Um, I got to have a lot of friends from the village, played with the kids every day, would eat in their homes, actually in their huts, their mud huts with grass roofs. I would go and eat lunch with them and just hang out with them. I was just one of them. And it was, it was a great life, actually. And I, I thank the Lord for the opportunity to have grown up as a missionary kid. A lot of experiences I've had that many other kids haven't had. Yeah, that's one of the things that I'd like for this podcast to uh, uh, emphasize is what a great life, uh, life of a missionary is. And uh, even as a very young uh, person uh, that uh, you grow up in that environment, it's a really a, a rich experience. Now, uh, your uh, dad and mom, they uh, first got to uh, Ethiopia. What year did they go? 1960. 1960. Okay. Well, you uh, had your Ethiopian experience, and then you uh, moved to Kenya. Tell us about that. Yeah, later on, uh, when I was 13, the Ethiopian government began to have some problems. Communism was coming in. They went to the university students, began to indoctrinate them in communist ways, and began to get the young people to riot and protest and do a lot of things that were against the government. And soon, Haile Selassie was dethroned as the emperor. And because of that, it was made very hard for missionaries to stay in the country. And my dad had actually been accused of treason and being against the government, which was false but you know false accusation but went to the highest court and they finally ruled insufficient evidence and released him and he left and we moved to the country of kenya just south of ethiopia and uh, that was uh, a neat experience just to see the work that my dad not only had done in ethiopia which was slow and hard but now in kenya which was much more open to the gospel and just to see more people come to know Jesus through his ministry. And that affected, affected me as a, as a young man, seeing the work both in Ethiopia and Kenya, to then later consider being a missionary. So now you went to boarding school, both in Ethiopia as well as in Kenya, is that right? Yes, I started out in first grade in Ethiopia, and I would see my parents once every three months. Um, there's a six-year-old. Now, I did have some older siblings with me, but uh, you know how that goes. They were busy and they didn't really care too much about their younger brother. Um, but uh, I had a lot of good friends. We would cry at first, you know, in the first few nights. But after that, we would console each other. And then it just became your daily life. I had dorm parents who actually gave a lot of attention to us and spent time with us. So, well, uh, of course, no uh, uh, those uh, 
experiences that you are recounting, of course, uh, uh, is brings shivers up the spine of um, some parents uh, that might be listening today. Uh, of course, you know, homeschooling and uh, all the things that we have today was not available uh, back in those days. And uh, I'm sure it was, I'm sure it was uh, tough on your folks, yet they thought it was necessary. Yes. Yeah. They, we didn't have all the other schooling options that we have today. So most missionary kids at that time went to boarding school. Um, and, you know, it, it was hard on the kids, but it was harder on the parents and especially the moms. And the mothers who had to do that felt like they were neglecting their children. And it was, it became very hard on them emotionally and mentally. And my mom actually went through quite a bit uh, having to deal with that, but finally came to the point where she could thank the Lord that her kids could get a good education and have a social life with others. Yeah, I, I agree with that. I, uh, I know that when uh, our kids went to boarding school, uh, it was, uh, I think it was tougher on Sandy and I uh, than it was for Becky and Sarah, but uh, uh, even more so for Sandy and being a mom. Nevertheless, in God's sovereignty and his plans, uh, like you have testified, it was a great experience, and I'm assuming that you wouldn't take anything for that experience that you had. Uh, no, I wouldn't. I'd, I would do it all again. I, I enjoyed it. Um, oh, yeah, there were difficult times, but there's difficult times everywhere. But uh, just the worldview that I've been able to gain from that experience, the friends that I have in Africa, grew up with, still friends today. We, we even email and, and uh, send messages uh, on Messenger with friends in Ethiopia from when we were kids. And so uh, it, it's just, it's amazing. It's really, really neat opportunity to be a missionary kid and to see and have all those experiences. You know, I, I had a lot of fun experiences as well. And I, I had a motorcycle when I was 16 in Kenya. And I used to go down in the Rift Valley and chase giraffes and zebras. So how many teenagers can say they've done that. <laughs> Absolutely. Well, that's great. Well, let's fast forward. Uh, you graduate and uh, you go back to the States. Uh, pick it up from there. Yeah, I come back to the States. I go to college at Liberty University, um, an organization at that time called Priority One International had some influence on me. They videotaped our family. They videotaped your family and showed those back in the States. And so I thought that's something I would like to do is travel around with them and go do that. And uh, today they're called uh, Right Now Media. But um, so that's why I went to Liberty. But my sophomore year, uh, the Lord had been working on my life, bringing certain people and talking to me and uh, considering missions and things. So uh, we had a missions emphasis week at Liberty uh, Dr. Jack Baskin was the speaker, and he made one statement that really pointed to me, uh, I felt, and it was, if God hasn't called you to America, then you need to go somewhere else. And I thought, "There's God hasn't called me to America, and Africa was more my home, so I'm willing to go anywhere. And that's when I surrendered to be a missionary, um, sought out different organizations, actually, and sought out different countries, prayed a lot about it. And God laid on our heart, my heart, to go to Kenya. Uh, soon after that, I met my soon-to-be wife, Pam. And uh, she had surrendered to be a missionary when she was a teenager and went to Kenya as missionaries in 1988. What did you do there, and how long were you there in, uh, as a missionary in Kenya? 
we were there a total of uh, 10 years and we went as church planters. And so um, I, I got some experience in helping my dad, uh, who's, a mission, who's a mission, still a missionary there in Kenya, and worked with him. I helped him to uh, establish a few churches. I also uh, worked in training as I, I helped him to start a Bible college. We, we realized the importance of training nationals so that they can go out and do the work. Uh, they can do it once they're trained. They can do it a lot better than we can. And uh, so we did that and uh, started a church that uh, my last couple of years there in 1996. And uh, today that church now is in more of an upper class area and it's pastored by a national pastor. Doing great. They do f missions. They do mission trips. Uh, so that's exciting to know. And so we were mainly church planners, um, but we also had schools and other outreaches into the community. That's great. How uh, did you uh, uh, end up uh, in Springfield, Missouri? That's a good question, and I'm still wondering why I did that. <laughs> but uh, I, I, uh, when I started that last church in Kenya, uh, after some time, I felt like maybe there was going to be some kind of a change. In fact, I remember talking to you about that in one of the malls that they have in Nairobi. And I thought maybe it was going to be to go full time into doing our Bible college or some other kind of ministry. Well, we came back to the States on furlough, had our return tickets back to Kenya, came to our mission office uh, headquarters, and I spoke with our director, Dr. Uh, Bob Baird, and he asked me if I would come work in the mission office. And my first question to him was, why would I want to do that? And uh, then I began to ask him, what, what would you have me do? And he said, well, one of the things is with your communication degree and TV, I'd like you to go around the world and videotape missionaries and tell their stories back in the States. And I thought, wow, that's what I initially wanted to do when I went to college. And, uh, and, and then also travel to youth groups and churches and challenge them on missions. And, you know, I was 35 at the time. And so... Uh, it was a difficult decision, but my wife and I felt this was what God would have us to do. And so we did that. And then uh, seven years later, he retired. And the pastors of our fellowship uh, selected me to take his place. And you have been there now for how, how many years have you been? Uh, a little bit. Director? I've been as a mission director a little over 15 years. Wow, well, that's great. Well, John, I uh, not only have you had experience on the field, but um, over the last 15 years, you've been working with uh, missionaries and uh, candidates and things like that. So what do you think is the greatest? Let me start with the big question is, what do you think is the biggest challenge in missions today? I mean, sitting where you sit as a missions director, you are in touch with corners of the world. And uh, so... Uh, what do you think is, what are those things that you think about as the greatest challenge for missions today? Number one would be, is more, more missionaries. Um, our force is declining. And as I talk to many organizations, that's true uh, with them as well. Um, finding young people, young couples who are willing to go as missionaries. I just think we see fewer um, surrendering, fewer committing to go. And that's one of the things I think about all the time is, and I use the term recruiting, 
Uh, I know it's the Holy Spirit that recruits and calls, but yet we we want to show people opportunities and what's out there and what the needs are so that as they feel led by the Holy Spirit to do something, they can consider missions and in these various areas. So our greatest need right now is more missionaries because our population of the world is growing and yet our missionary force is decreasing. Uh, well, that actually brings up a couple of questions. Uh, one would be, uh, what is the role of a North American missionary? It was pretty easily defined when your dad first went out, forerunners, as it were. Uh, even when I went to Kenya, uh, it was, uh, I went to an area where there uh, were no missionaries. And uh, so, uh, but um, what is the role today of the missionary? I mean, uh, do we still need pioneer missionaries? You know, that's a, that's a good question. And, and I, I think there are still places in the world that we do need pioneer missionaries. Now, it may not be living in the tent or living in the hut, per se. There may be some places still like that. But there are unreached peoples. There are areas and populations, as I've studied and I meet with different organizations, there's still a lot of unreached people groups, some that you don't even have anyone yet witnessing among them. So I would consider that it would be like a pioneer missionary. However, we have missionaries close to those areas that could help and even maybe change their location and go into those places. So, uh, you know, I could see a need for that. Uh, for the North American missionary, I see more and more though as becoming more of a facilitator, a trainer, um, uh, someone who comes alongside, we have, we have countries that are sending their own missionaries now. And, uh, but, but I'm still asked by those countries, can you still send missionaries to help train them and teach them and, uh, and follow up and be a mentor to them? Uh, we, uh, we have a few missionaries in South Sudan. The national leaders there are asking for more missionaries. Why do they want more missionaries? to teach them and train them, to help them organize some things. They will then go out and reach their own people, but they feel like they need someone to come alongside them. So I see, the, I see, I see a little bit of the pioneer, uh, maybe a little bit different than in the, the other days past, but I see more and more facilitators and trainers. Um, and then I, you know, there is the social aspect of it. Uh, there are missionaries that are going out and doing more in the communities and uh, drilling the wells and, and teaching the agriculture and things like that. And I, I think there's a place for that as long as the, in my opinion, as long as the ultimate goal is they use those as an opportunity to evangelize and disciple people. I, uh, I belonged with, uh, to another organization many years ago, and uh, the focus was only on church planning. Uh, but uh, I remember some people, they wanted to do social work uh, as agriculturalists, and, and uh, our thought was, uh, you know, uh, it's okay to plant corn as long as it's also uh, pointing to plant a church. And so... Uh, we would encourage people to do social work as long as it was indeed uh, planting the church. Um, what do you think is the obstacle? Now, uh, you know, uh, we talk about there needs to be more missionaries. And so uh, where's the, 
uh, where's the where's the obstacle of uh, getting um, more people to the field? As as I've thought through uh, these thing this this question pretty much daily, um, and I speak with other leaders and other organizations, it seems like I can kind of bring it down to a couple things. The first thing would be fear. This is what I found it to be fear because of the world we live in. I mean, think of this pandemic and uh, just the, you know, uh, things that are going on between countries and inside of countries. There's just a lot of volatility going on that um, causes fear for people to want to go and leave our country. I also think fear comes in when you talk with the parents. I find this a lot in our churches. The parents say, I know my kids want to go, but I'm just afraid to let them go. And uh, I, I try and remind them, do you remember when they were little babies and you went before the church and you dedicated them and gave them to the Lord? Well, here's the time when it's the rubber meets the road. Um, and so I think, I think fear just with the world that the way it is today um, is, is a major, major thing. And then with the parents. And yet it's amazing because the opportunities seem to be endless in so many ways, in so many places um, that it, it just makes it hard. I, I think another thing is just uh, generational uh, thinking. Uh, the older generations, they would go, this is what God wants me to do, and I'm going to do it for the rest of my life. And it was that way, even back here in the States, I would go work, you know, someone would go work at a factory and that was what they did for the rest of their life. Well, the younger generations don't see it that way. And they're going to go to this place for a while. And then they're going to go to that place. They'll do McDonald's for a little bit and they'll be a missionary for a little bit, you know? Uh, and so, and it doesn't mean they're inferior thinking. It's just a different, different mentality. And that's another area we're trying to figure out how do we make that work with the younger generations? because as you know, you can't just go to a mission field and in five years have everything going and it's all, and you can just leave it. It takes time. And as I've talked to a lot of veteran missionaries, I've asked them, when, what has made you successful besides God's hand upon you? What do you see as what has made your ministry successful? And every one of them says longevity. Uh, that's interesting. Of course, this uh, podcast will come after uh, the one that actually I did recently with uh, Keith Gandy. And uh, he's been in Germany for 38 years. And uh, he talks about how that you just need to have tenacity. Uh, and um, so I, that's that's a great word. Well, I know that there are pastors that are listening to the podcast. And uh, what would your encourage? How would how would the local pastor, the local church, how can they help maybe overcome some of these obstacles that uh, missionaries are facing? Right. Well, I I think there's there's some ways that pastors can can do things that will enable their people to be interested more in missions, but, and, and I like your question because I think it starts with the pastor. You can have other people in the church excited and wanting to do things and promote things, but if it's not from the pastor, it's just not going to be as strong. So I believe it has to start with the pastor. And, and I think a pastor needs to be aware of the, what's going on in the world. 
I think he needs to be aware of world news. I think he needs to be aware of what's going on in his community, uh, what, what uh, nationalities are moving into his community, uh, what's going on that he can do to lead his people into missions. In fact, I know missionaries who said they began to pray uh, for missionaries and for more missionaries, and they ended up being the answer to that prayer. And I said, well, how, how did that happen? And they said, well, our Sunday school teacher spoke to us about praying for more missionaries. And so we began to pray. And I said, well, that's good. And they said, but it, it didn't start there. Our pastor taught our Sunday school teachers to speak about praying for more missionaries. And because our pastor had that passion and burden, it, you know, it infiltrated down and filtered down to the rest of our staff and teachers, Sunday school, and then it went to our people. So there are missionaries today who are on the field because they prayed because their pastor had that initiative. So I think the pastor needs to be creative, you know, in this world today. I mean, you got to be creative. Your mission conferences can't be like they were in days of old. They've got to be creative and exciting, involving your people. And I think that's a, a, a big thing is the pastor has to be the lead, but he's got to involve his people. And when they get involved in it and take it personally, and they own the task, I think it goes a long way. Well, I, that's, uh, that's, that's a good word, and I appreciate that. Uh, being creative when it comes to missions conferences, I, I'm, I'm saddened the fact that we don't have missions conferences, and it's very difficult for missionaries these days. Some, uh, many churches just have one service, and that's in the morning time, and uh, it's very difficult for them to raise support. And uh, as a result of that, it's very difficult for a missionary to present to their field, their need, and uh, their call. So I, I appreciate what you had to say, that uh, we've got to be a lot more creative. Uh, we just can't say, well, uh, that's what happened uh, 30 years ago. Um, we live in today's world, and if the need is still there, which it is, and if the Great Commission is as relevant today as it was uh, when our Lord spoke it, uh, then we need to, to think of uh, different ways uh, to do this. I appreciate your time, uh, John. Uh, anything else you want to share with, uh, uh, with the people that are listening? Uh, yes, we, we, um, I came up with an idea. Well, it's actually in the scripture, so I didn't come up with the idea. <laughs> but, but I came up with a kind of a plan going along with the scripture called... Uh, the 938 challenge. It comes from Matthew chapter 9, verse 38. Verse 37, Jesus said, the harvest is plenteous, but the laborers are few. Verse 38, he says, so pray ye therefore the Lord of the harvest that he will send forth laborers into the harvest. So for about a year and a half now, I've been talking about the 938 challenge, and I encourage people to pray for more laborers. This is actually a prayer request of Jesus himself. We need more laborers, so pray to the Lord of the harvest. That's what Jesus said. So I challenge people to get their phones out and set their alarms either at 9.38 in the morning or 9.38 at night. I have mine set at both. And at both times, my phone will vibrate at 9.38, and that reminds me I need to go to the Lord of the harvest and pray for more laborers, according to Matthew 9.38. And so I do that. And we have people in Taiwan that are doing that now in churches, people in Kenya, people in Costa Rica, people in Korea, 
and people in the United States that are now praying for more laborers. I think one reason perhaps why we don't have as many missionaries is maybe we're not praying to the Lord of the harvest for more missionaries. And so on top of that now, this next year, and actually it's going to go over four years, we are starting what we're calling the Project 938. And we are wanting to get a thousand churches to participate. And our office is preparing all kinds of material to send to churches and be promoting so that on August 3rd, 2021, we're going to have an international day to pray. We're going to work up to that with all kinds of information. But on that day, I would like a thousand churches in the States and 30 international countries to participate. And on that day, we begin, we really focus on praying for more missionaries. And then we're going to do it again the next year and the next year until 2025, when our organization, the VBFI, will celebrate 75 years. And I would like to see over these next four years, maybe an increase in our missionary force, because we took serious what Jesus said, and we went to the Lord of the harvest and prayed. And so starting in January, we are going to start a new podcast. It's going to be the 938 podcast. And uh, so people can start tuning in there in January as we begin to talk about this and more missionaries and missions, all kinds of information in general about missions. So the 938 uh, project or, or podcast is what we're really focusing on in the next few years. Great. Well, listen, maybe there's someone that's listening to this podcast and they say, you know, I'd like to talk to John a little bit more about um, God's call on my life, uh, where the need is. Uh, how can they get a hold of you, John? Uh, great. Uh, they can uh, call me at 417-862-5001, or they can go to our website, bbfimissions.com, bbfimissions.com. It's a great website, a lot of information. They can find me there, my email address there. Um, but we, we have a, a great uh, service center here, and we just want to be a vehicle to help those who are called by God to answer uh, his call in their lives. Oh, that's great. Uh, you also have a book that talks a little bit about uh, your dad, uh, your family. Uh, what's the name of that book, John? Yes, uh, a couple of years ago, I wrote a book called From Alcatraz to Africa. And uh, actually, our family uh, history goes back to the island of Alcatraz. My mom lived on Alcatraz when she was uh, in kindergarten. Her dad was a guard. And so my book starts there telling stories about that. And then all the way through our lives in Ethiopia until my dad had to leave after his arrest. But a um, lot of stories. So you can find it on Amazon. It's for Kindle, uh, you know, um, for any device, but it's called From Alcatraz to Africa. Well, thanks, John. I really appreciate your time. And uh, I just trust that uh, the people that are listening to this, uh, it would uh, resonate with them. And um, so may the Lord bless you as you continue to serve him in the capacity as missions director. Greet your dad. And uh, we'll talk to you again. Will do. Thank you so much. And it's a privilege to be your friend and partner with you. Well, I trust you enjoy that interview with Missions Director John Conrad. Thanks again for listening to this podcast. Please share it with others. 
and visit our website, lewis-training.com. And we look forward to presenting another missions topic next week. Until then, blessings and continue to pray that the Lord of the harvest will send out laborers into the fields throughout the world. There's no